so glad that you're with us again and we're going to look at this amazing redemption that we have in Christ where we can have the peace that passes all understanding and even if we lived a torrid existence brought about by our own stupidity and our own foul living we can be set free, we can be cleansed, we can be purified and we read about this in 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a terrible place of absolute blatant immorality. And we know that the people of Corinth were despised by others down through history. In Elizabethan era in Britain, if you were a person that was known to be racy or immoral or trendy or maybe living outside the norms of morality of the day, they used to call you a Corinthian. Oh, you're nothing but a Corinthian. Sexual immorality was the predominant sin of the Corinthians, and it figured prominently even in their worship of their false gods. And that's why Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee, verse 18, from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Now, former to that, he says in verse 9, Do you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be despised, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That means set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, in the church at Corinth, there were those that had lived that licentious type of life. There were those that had been homosexual. There were those that had been adulterers. There were those that were slanderers and swindlers. Gosh, you'd have to be careful in that church, wouldn't you? If you first went along and they were just coming through to Christ, you would have been a little bit on your guard. But the work of God is continuous. And what God has begun within us, he will fulfill. And that's what he certainly has done. Now, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in that upper room discourse, 
And I think I've mentioned to you about two or three times in this particular series that there are only three principal sermons that are taken down verbatim and recorded in the Gospels. That is, sermons of Jesus. The first is the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is the Sermon, the Teaching on the Mount of Olives. And then we have from chapter 13 right through to 16, that's 13, 14, 15, 16, four chapters in the upper room in just hours before Jesus faced the condemnation of Pilate's court of the Jews and the Romans and the rabble and was then subsequently tortured and whipped ridiculed and scorned and crucified for our salvation. And so in that upper room discourse, he opens his heart, as we've said before, and we say it again. And he talks about his leaving them. He talks about the fact that he will go away, be gone physically, but that they will see him. The world won't see him, but he will not abandon his people. Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit of God does not abandon us. Now, when we turn to this beautiful book of John and the Upper Room Discourse, which is only in its entirety in the Gospel of John. And John, of course, was that beloved disciple, and he was close to Jesus, intimate with Jesus, knew the heartbeat of Jesus, the mind and the spirit of Jesus, loved that spirit. And so he hung on to every word and recorded at a date later all that Jesus had said. Now, we read in one of our former episodes and sessions that Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. Why doesn't the world accept the Spirit of truth? Because they don't accept truth. And if you go across to the second book of Corinthians, and you turn to the fourth chapter, as I am doing right now, and I hope you're doing the same with your Bible, you'll find this tremendous series of statements that corroborate what we read in John 14. Paul says to the Corinthians, by God's mercy or through God's mercy, we have this ministry and we do not lose heart. And what is that ministry? And it is that we do not distort the word of God. We declare the word of God. And by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And that even if our gospel is hidden or veiled, 
it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, if you don't want the penetration of truth in your life, if you do not want to know the truth that sets you free, then you remain in a form of spiritual darkness. And that's when you talk to some people, not everyone, of course, but some people, and you're talking about the Lord and you're talking about the things of God and you say certain things to them about the Lord and they just look back at you blank. Or they argue. Or they'll say things like, I don't understand a word you're saying. What are you on about? I can't understand this. And you know that that gospel is veiled to them. Why? Because the spirit of truth is being rejected. They don't like the penetration of the truth of God. I suppose we've all been there somewhere in our lives where the truth hurts. We don't like it. It's penetrating. It gets right into our spirit and demands a response. So the God of this age, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, go back to John chapter 14. That's why the world cannot receive the spirit of truth. It cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. How do you get to see him? How, how do you get to know God? By obedience to the revelation that is given to you. I think it was J. Sidlow Baxter, the great Baptist preacher, a spirit-filled, mighty man of God, born in Australia, I might add, who said these words. He said that the Spirit of God is given, and when the Spirit of God is given, we either embrace or we reject. Now the great Welsh preacher who for many years was, was at Calvary Baptist in New York City, West 57th Street. I've stayed in their beautiful hotel, which is right beside and built into the church. Stephen Olford was that preacher, and marvellous. You can get his wonderful teaching, as you can, with J. Sidlow Baxter. He said, God's revelation ceases when you ceased to obey what you just heard. So if initially the gospel comes to you and you are impacted by it and then step back and say, I don't want this, then there's no further revelation. You don't go past that point where God reveals. So don't keep preaching at people when you are so totally aware they're not receiving it. And I've, I've leant forward and said to someone, you don't like this, do you? you? You don't accept this. And they'll say, no, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. I say, well, let's leave it at that. And if in time you decide that you will accept the truth of God, then I'm available, God's available, and the word will be quickened to you. And that's why we say here that the spirit of truth cannot be received or accepted by the world. 
But the Bible goes on to say, different to that is the believer. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the promise to the believers, to the disciples, except for Judas. And Jesus is saying, he who has been with you will enter you and will be in you. Then he makes this remarkable statement, I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you as orphans. I want to talk to you a little bit about orphans. I have a lot of experience with orphanages. I've just come from one in war-torn Ukraine. Though there's a war going on, of course, these these orphanages are being filled with children whose parents are either in the army and have been killed or been killed in combat or because of missile attacks. I myself have adopted a little boy from an orphanage. And the little orphan feels very vulnerable. They don't have the wonderful enclosing embrace of a father, the protection of a father and a mother the lovely dulcet tones of a mother who whispers, I love you. So they don't have that sense of security inbuilt. And therefore, they are prone to feeling very vulnerable, very nervous. And sometimes that will lead them to do things in order to be loved, even putting themselves in danger. And a lot of abuse victims are those that were vulnerable who were as orphans. Maybe they did have parents, but there was neglect. Or maybe secretly they were enticed away. And in a vulnerable moment, they became abused victims of someone that has seized upon an evil opportunity. Terrible when it comes to people in the church. But that's another story for another time. It's this orphan thing, this, this, this sense of being abandoned or being vulnerable or being naive or needing someone to enclose them, protect them, love them, discipline them, feed them, provide for them. And without Christ being there, the disciples were going to feel abandoned. But he said to them, look, you don't need to feel abandoned. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but rather I will come to you and I will be with you. I will ask the father, verse 16 of John 14, I will ask the father and he will give you another comforter. What's he mean another comforter? Well, the Greek means one called alongside no less vital, important and personal than Jesus. And of course, that's why the Bible and Romans particularly talks about the spirit of Jesus. Revelation talks about the spirit of Jesus because the indwelling spirit is just as Jesus is in every way, shape and form. He is the spirit of truth that this world cannot receive.
Now he goes on to say that the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Now, how does that work? Is he talking about the second advent? Is he talking about the day that will come to pass when he comes again and is revealed at the second coming when every eye will see? No, 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 no. He's not talking about that at all. He's saying these words. He's saying, look, the world will think it's all ridiculous, all a fantasy, all a lie, all some sort of fairy tale that you can see and you can know and you can walk and you can experience Jesus. But it's not a fairy tale you will have enlightened understanding and he will have entered your spirit and you will become his. He will become part of you, living within you. Now, the apostle Paul had that experience. Even in the midst of a storm in the Acts of the Apostles, you'll remember this, in Acts chapter 27, and, of course, no one wants to be in a storm at sea, especially in those very flimsy craft. I've been in a storm at sea, in the Aegean Sea. It was frightening, and I was in a great big, uh, beautiful ship, a cruise ship. But I felt we were at the absolute mercy of the waves and the wind and the driving rain, and the storm was tremendous. And in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts and verse 15, we read that the ship was caught. That's the ship, an ancient ship, a sailing ship, was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. And the Apostle Paul realizes as he's down below decks in his room, that we are in trouble. But the Holy Spirit and the angel of the Lord comes and comforts him and speaks to him and said, no, no, everything's going to be fine. You are going to, as you intend, as you planned, and as I gave you understanding of that plan, you will stand before Caesar and declare the faith in Rome. So he clambers up stairs onto the heaving deck and calls those that are in charge, the captain and the first mate, I suppose, in our language today. And he says to them, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be frightened because the angel of God, whose I am and who I serve, he has appeared to me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now, that would have gone against every maritime experience that the captain crew would have known. All right, we're going to be okay. We're going to be preserved. We're going to be protected. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. But you see, he had seen what they cannot see. He had heard what they have no ears for. 
the ears and eyes of the Spirit of God. How marvellous that is. And that's the fact of Jesus, the fulfilment of what Jesus said, that you will never be left like an orphan without protection, without provision, without wisdom, without guidance. You will always be safe. And that is one of the wonderful things that you can cling to. And if you feel at times in your circumstance abandoned, if you feel in your situation bereft, if you feel that it's just not fair and you're an innocent, abandoned soul who's done nothing, nothing, nothing to warrant this abandonment and the storms of life are beating against you in a horrific way, you can rest assured that I am with you always, says Jesus, even to the end of the age. You will never be abandoned. You are safe. We are going to come back in the next episode and we're going to talk about the church of Jesus Christ. Now, the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, is made up of living stones built into the temple of the Lord. And in dwelling that temple of the Lord, the church, is the Spirit of God, moving and manifesting his presence, declaring the will and purpose of God through the ministries, by the Spirit, through revelation, through prophecy, through other means as well, to every believer that has an attunement, that is attuned to the voice of the Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be an interwoven, interactive body of Christ. Christ at the head and we become his hands and we become his feet and we share his heart. We share his love and compassion and we speak and he uses our voices to speak to our generation. And people should feel secure in the body of Christ. They should feel totally, wonderfully interwoven and safeguarded by being part of Jesus' body. But if, perchance, they don't, they suddenly feel cut off, abandoned, and, of course, if it's unjustifiable, they will feel resentful. When we come back at our next episode, we're going to talk about the church its power to love, its power to give, its power to forgive, and its power for wrongdoing and the mess we make when we walk outside of the jurisdiction and the principles of God and the Word of God. We are not the judge. The Word of God is the arbiter. The Spirit of God is the wisdom and the love of God is the foundation of the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.